Good evening, producer Susan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jersey Joe. How are you? I'm good. Have you uh, recovered from your lost hour of sleep? Monday oh, no, man. Monday morning was rough. <laughs> I know you're a coffee drinker. Did you have any extra coffee? Oh, yeah, I needed uh, it. Now, do, does your dog know that it's daylight savings time? Did he sleep? Did he uh, get up an hour earlier? No. Uh, well, so this time of year, everything was, you know, an hour early for him. Uh -huh. So I was giving him his dinner an hour early. It's in the fall that he gets messed up on his mealtime. <laughs> Where's my food? I remember when I was in Colorado, we had horses. The horses didn't care. Whenever the sun came up, whenever it started to get daylight, that's it. They want to be fed and feed yep. me and let me out. Feed me and let me out. They didn't care at all what time the clock said. Yep. All right. Hey, we got a huge uh, bunch of stuff to talk about. I doubt we're going to fit it all in. I'm going to tell you, and this is after I already dropped three or four things off that I wanted to talk about. These are things I'd like to talk about, but uh, I don't know if I can. For those who first time listening, it's the situation with Jersey Joe. What's uh the, the focus of the show is news and perspective. You won't hear on TV. You'll hear stories I know you didn't hear anything about. And you will you might hear some perspective. on. You may have heard some of these stories, but you'll hear some perspective that you didn't hear about. Our quote of the day is from author Thomas Sowell on how being smart might not be the benefit you think it is. In our stupidest thing of the week, I'll tell you about a proposal from Maryland state legislator who doesn't think you should be charged with murder if you kill someone but are below a certain age. And that certain age may surprise you. Uh, in our new segment, I'll play a clip of the saddest thing I've heard all week. And it was something that President Biden said. And it really, really saddens me. Um, I'll give you some observations on the President Biden's 2020, 2023 budget proposal. And I'll tell you about the interest rate bomb that his proposal contains and why his budget proposal uh, like most, most presidential budget proposals, are, is going to be dead on arrival. I'll read you a very short essay by an economics professor using a bar tab to explain how our, the U.S. tax system works. In our You Won't Hear This on TV segment, we have three stories. The one is about a deadly new invasive species multiplying in the Western Hemisphere that kills more people than sharks every year. We'll tell you what percentage of uh, the 3,000 U.S. counties in the United States account for more than 50% of all the homicides in this country. And we'll tell you about how police in Louisiana classified the death of a man who was found uh, dead on the side of the road, wrapped in plastic and a carpet, and how they classified his death. We'll tell you why a major California newspaper claims that white drivers in the California freeway system are racist. I didn't know that. I guess you can learn something new every day. If we have time, uh, producer Susan and I, I guess we're going to share this one. We'll tell you about what the term continental divide actually refers to and where you will find the highest point on an interstate east of the Rocky Mountains. Um, and our taxpayer relief shot is going to be from Pulaski County, Georgia, where a homeowner uh, home is, is uh, there's an attempted home inv invasion, ready for this, by four armed teenagers simultaneously uh, attempt to invade this guy's house. So you think that's going to be enough to fill 30 minutes? Uh, I think that's enough for 60 minutes. <laughs> I think you're right. We may not get to it all. All right. Our quote of the day from uh, author Thomas Sowell. Um, and here's his quote, very simple, but uh, oh, I know this to be true. And it's, I, it doesn't matter how smart you are unless you stop and think. Now, producer Susan, have you ever dealt with, worked with, or worked for any people who are smart, maybe had advanced degrees, 
and they just would say incredibly stupid things? Yes, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> And, and you know, and I and I go back and and uh, you know, as you know, I'm a, I'm a member of Mensa, and I get the, the the monthly magazine, and I I see some incredibly stupid comments. I, I also work with people who have master's degrees, and, and they say things, and I just shake my head, like, "Are you serious?" And yes, they are serious. And and uh, you know, too, sometimes you can explain to them, you you try to very politely explain to them why what they just said was incredibly stupid without using, you can't say what you said was stupid because that you'll never get anywhere with that. Um, and sometimes they'll say, Oh, you know, the really, the smart ones will say, Oh, wow. I didn't think of it that way. The ones that are truly, um, the, the smart ones who are actually stupid will get very defensive and try and defend their stupid, the stupid thing they said. Have you ever run into that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, but one of the things I've found in life is it's really, really tough to get people to um, change their mind. I've had very little success getting people to change their minds. What I have been successful, um, I learned this when I was in my 20s, is I found if I say, that's wrong, here's why. Instead, what I tell them, you know, based if I had the same information you had, that's exactly the decision I would have arrived at. But, you know, here's some information you probably didn't have. And then I explained to them the things that might be overlooking. And my goal is to not change their mind based on what they have known. My goal is to get them to make a new decision based on new information, because that's a lot more psychologically. It's a lot easier rather than saying I was wrong. It's a lot easier to say, hey, you know, Based on that new information, I'm going to make a. I'm going to arrive at a new decision. How does that sound from a psychological standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So if you might want to use that in your own work situation. Sometimes I start off by agreeing with the person that the very stupid thing they said um, was actually the same conclusion I would have arrived at based on the information if I had the information they had, and then I add more information and say, now based on that additional information, do you still think? your position, you know, is the right position. Anyway, um, so let me, so let's move on to the stupidest thing I've heard all week. Um, how old do you have to be to vote in this country? 18. How long, how old do you have to be to join the military? 18. Uh, uh, how old do you have to be to enter, to be considered an adult and enter into legally binding contracts? 18. All right, so, um, a Maryland Democrat has proposed at the state level a new bill that would raise the minimum age to be charged with or convicted of felony murder. Her claim is that below a certain age, uh, people's brains and decision-making uh, processes are not fully developed, and therefore we shouldn't charge a young person uh, with a less than fully developed brain uh, with first-degree murder. What age do you think she's proposing that that uh, age limit be raised uh, raised to before a person could be charged with first degree murder? I'm going to guess she's proposing 21. 25. Wow. 25. Her position is, and by the way, she, the bill has a lot of support. Her position is, well, people's brains are, by the way, I forgot getting married to, you know, uh, you can get married at 17 or 18. Her position is, well, under age of 25, your brain isn't fully developed, your decision-making 
um, process, your decision-making abilities are, are less than fully developed. Therefore, if you murder somebody and you're less than 25, uh, we shouldn't charge you with first degree murder because your brain isn't fully developed. Well, my, my reply to her would be, well, if you're saying that they're too immature to make, uh, to make serious consequential decisions, then why aren't you also proposing rating them, raising the minimum age to vote to 25 in Maryland? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, to me, it, it just, or, and also raising the age to, to drive a car and raise the age. And that to same argument has been made in the courts and has been won on individual cases, but that's, you know, on a case by case basis. And on no, the I flip mean, side of that, there's also 16 year olds that are charged as adults. So. Right. And there are, there are, there are, there are people in their twenties who are three times felon who, I mean, you, you go to Chicago and Baltimore, there are people 20 years of old. They've already been in, they've already been in state prison and they're already three times felons. So trust me, if you got gang tattoos, by the way, some of these MS 13 gang members with the tattoos, they're cutting people's heads off. You know, uh, they're raping and murdering women. I mean, they're, they're, they're literally decapitating them, but no, they're under 25. So we don't want to carry it. That That's my, stupidest thing I heard all week. Do you think that qualifies as the stupidest thing I've heard all week? Yeah, it definitely shouldn't be a blanket across the board. Again, the argument's been made on individual cases, right. case by case, but yeah, it yeah, goes that, both ways though. Yeah, that's that's a law we don't need. Now, I'm going to play a clip of, uh, we're going to talk about the president's budget in a minute. Um, and, you know, he came, he held a press conference to to brag about some of the new job creation numbers, and they've been very, very impressive. But um, when he speaks, uh, I really, I'm not trying to make fun of the man. I, I really just feel sad. Um, and, and I want you to, to listen very carefully how he, can, how he uses the wrong word twice. He should be using the word millions, uh, but instead of the word millions, he uses the word thousands incorrectly in two different places here. Listen, here we go. Well, hang on. Got to wait for the ad to. Got to wait for the ad to. Yeah, I you know I don't know why it always resets to the ad because I had already played this to get past the ad, and then the ad pops back up. Here we go. Look, uh, I think we got a good jobs report. I'm happy to report that our economy has created over three hundred thousand new jobs last month, and that's on top of a half a million jobs we added the month before. All told, by the way, so far, so good. Those first two numbers were stated correctly. Uh, 300,000 and a half a million. Those are both correct. But here we go. We've created more than 12,000, 12,000 jobs since I took office. 12,000 jobs since I took office. Now, he just said we created 300,000 this month and 500,000 the year before. What he should be saying is 12 million since he took office. I'm going to back that up and play one more time. That's on top of a half a million jobs we added the month before. All told, we've created more than 12,000, 12,000 jobs since they took office. You notice how he emphasizes the word thousands twice, 12,000, then he re-emphasizes 12,000. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. I'm going to back it up. 
And that's on top of a half a million jobs we added the month before. All told, we've created more than 12,000, 12,000 jobs since they took office, nearly 8,000 of the manufacturing jobs. That means overall, we've created more jobs in two years than any administration. Anyway, and I'm not trying to ridicule the man. I just feel really, really sad that, you know, his mental decline is obvious. Um, it's even sadder that the people around him, um, you know, aren't urging him to, to step down. He, he clearly is in no position to be running the country. I, I don't know. What's your reaction, Producer Susan? Well, on that particular subject, I think there also needs to be clarity made between jobs created and jobs filled, because I I can go out and create all the jobs I want, but it doesn't do me any good if I don't have bodies to fill them. Well, he's actually talking about new hires. And yes, what what's happened is that we lost you know, during the pandemic, by the way, these aren't new jobs. These are, these are refilling the jobs that were lost during the pandemic. You know, we still have about 8 million open unfilled jobs in this country. Um, so, you know, he's talking about 12 million people going back to work following the pandemic. Uh, but again, he just got, he just got done saying hundreds of millions, hundreds of thousands. And then he goes and he continually repeats, uses the word thousands when he should be saying millions. So, um, and by the way, I'm looking at the video and, and the, the women behind him are wincing, literally wincing as he says thousands several times. So that's the uh, saddest thing I've heard, uh, heard all week. And I, again, I'm not trying to ridicule the man. Uh, I just think it's terribly sad. All right. Uh, let's go on back to. All right. President Biden un unveiled, uh, unveiled his budget last week. Um, first of all, most presidential budgets are dead on arrival, uh, and I'm going to tell you why. And his budget, remember back in January, did I talk about the, the interest rate bond bomb and how it's going to explode the, the, the federal budget? As yes. In, right. Mm -hmm. Well, it came true, and it's in his budget, and I'll, I'll tell you that, but why do you think most presidential budgets are dead on arrival? Because the opposite side of the aisle doesn't agree. Well, not only that, presidents almost on purpose sometimes will put things in their budget uh, to make the budget look good that they know will never be approved by Congress. And therefore, when he, when they get back something from Congress that's different from what they proposed, what can they say? What What, what, what does that allow them to say? It's a negotiating tactic. Well, but he can say, well, you know, my, my budget was going to, you know, I would might had you approved my budget, we would have accomplished this and done this, and we would have held the deficit down to this number. But you didn't give me what I wanted, therefore, mm -hmm. I'm not res I'm not responsible for the budget you handed me to sign. That that's mm -hmm. the that's the way the game is played. You put together this, you know, ridiculous, optimistic. Fant fanciful budget that looks incredible on paper um, can never really become reality. In fact, if, if it tried to become reality, it would fall on its face. And when you don't get it and, and, and things turn out a lot worse than you, uh, than you promised or implied they could be, you can say, well, it's not my fault. You know, I, I gave Congress the budget that would have, you know, would have made, you know, you know, would have made ice cream and, you know, and, and marshmallows, but no, this is, I, I had to work with what they gave me. So it's a game that's played, but let's talk about the, um, the, 
the interest rate bomb I talked about in January because it, it shows up in, in his budget, which is one thing that won't change. Now, in fiscal 2021, the average annual interest rate on a national debt was a stunningly low 1.65%. And last fiscal year, fiscal 2022, it was still an incredibly low 2.07%. But even at that low rate, uh, taxpayers paid $357 billion in interest on treasury bonds. Now, how did the treasury keep the interest rate and the debt so low? They raised the money to cover the budget deficit by selling primarily short-term two-year and five-year treasury bonds that carried a sub-2% interest rate, far lower than the interest rates paid on the longer-term 10, 20, and 30-year treasury bonds. But what was the drawback to that strategy? Well, the drawback is that every year, in addition to having to sell new treasury bonds to cover the increase increase in the, the budget, the national debt due to the budget deficit, which, by the way, is estimated to come in at $1.6 trillion this year. Uh, so at a, at a minimum, you'd have to sell $1.6 trillion in new treasury bonds just to cover this year's deficit. But because those uh, about a quarter of our national debt rolls over every year, those two- and five-year bonds are maturing and are being redeemed. So therefore, you have to sell additional bonds uh, to replace those five to six trillion in short-term bonds that are that are retired being retired and redeemed. So that means that instead of just having to sell 1.6 trillion in new bonds to cover this year's 1.6 trillion budget deficit, they're they're going to have to sell approximately seven trillion in new bonds to cover that increase in national debt, uh, plus the redemption of those short-term notes. And what are the interest rates on those new bonds? Well, the interest rate on the two-year treasury bond is now hovering right around 5%, 4.8, And the interest rate on the 10-year bond right now is around 4%. And what impact will those new interest rates have on that amount of interest that we have to pay? Now, remember, I just told you in 2021, the, the amount of interest was 327 billion. Remember that, remember that number, because here's a, here's a, a quote from bond from his budget that will not change. Interest on the national debt in 2023 will cost, wait for it, $789 billion for a total of 10 trillion over the next decade. 10 trillion in just interest. That 789 billion figure is a 121 increase from the amount of money going to pay just the interest on our ballooning national debt from just two years ago. Can you imagine the interest on your credit card jumping by 121% in 24 months? Nice. Uh, I mean, is that scary? It, it is, absolutely. And I've seen just regular, you know, credit cards going from like 9% to 27%. That's, you right. know. And, and the reason it's going to accelerate to over a trillion dollars in just two more years is that in 2023, we're looking at uh, only about a quarter of those short-term bonds rolling over. Well, an additional five to seven trillion of those short-term bonds are going to roll over and have to be replaced each each year over the next four years. So four years from now, almost 100% of those short-term bonds, low-interest short-term bonds, are going to be replaced by much higher interest bonds. Even if there are 10-year bonds at 4%, even 4% is double the 2.0%. 2.07%. Anyway, so what other spending and revenue generating proposals is Biden basing? Oh, by, and he is um, base even his wish list 
um, budget, which includes all sorts of new taxes, which you'll never get, um, that that uh, optimistic, if I get all these new taxes, even with those new taxes, he's still projecting a $1.8 trillion budget deficit, which is a $200 billion increase from this year's uh, budget deficit. And here's quote, here's a quote on, on some of his uh, budget items. Biden is proposing $885 billion in overall defense spending to help fund the war against Russia and Ukraine and bolster the Pentagon, Pentagon's procurement budget. By the way, all these uh, uh, missile launching systems and javelin, you know what those javelin tank killing systems cost? Oh, millions. They're about $3 million a pop, and we've been sending them over by the truckload. And some of these high Mars, these uh, these uh, mobile rocket launching systems, they're multi-million. We're sending them tanks. Um, so he's proposing almost a trillion dollars in in the defense spending to help continue to support Ukraine and to replace what we've been sending them. For domestic programs, a traditional top priority for Democrats, he's asking for even more, proposing some one trillion in so-called non-defense discretionary spending. Um, and some of that will uh, include shoring up Medicare and protecting Social Security. Um, Biden has sought to frame his budget as a serious effort to rein in deficits, claiming he will reduce overall deficits by, by three trillion over the next decade. By the way, if something is currently 1.6 trillion, which is this year's deficit, how do you reduce something that is 1.6 trillion? How do you reduce it by three trillion? I don't know. Gotta make cut somewhere. No, you can't. <laughs> In other words, what, what he's saying- Something's gotta give. Yeah, but you can't reduce something. If something is a start, a starting point is 1.6 trillion, you can't reduce it by 3 trillion, okay? Yeah. What he's saying is that um, the the annual budget deficit was going is, was, is projected to grow every year. And what he's saying is, if you give me the budget I want, I will slow the growth of the deficit by 3 trillion over the next 10 years. He's not saying what he's saying. I'm going to cut the deficit by three trillion. You know, he's saying he will slow the growth of the deficit by three trillion. Huge difference. You wouldn't believe how many people literally thought he was going to reduce the annual deficit by three trillion in a year. Anyway, um, here's how he is proposing to fund it, and these are some of the things he'll never get, and he knows he'll never get them. Um, and he's proposing a new billionaire tax, forcing billionaires to pay at least 25% on all of their income. Including including appreciated assets in taxes. Now, you know what he means by appreciated assets. Is that like a almost like a capital gains? Well, except capital gains, you pay it when you sell the stock. What he's proposing, let's say you're Elon Musk and you own stock in Tesla, and the value of your Tesla stock goes up at the end of the year, even though you haven't sold it. He say, well, that the value of your Tesla stock increased by twenty billion dollars. Therefore, even though you still own it and haven't sold it, we're going to tax you 25% on the increased value of the stock you still own. That's what he's calling an appreciated asset tax. That's uh, a dangerous game when it comes to things like the average American in their home that appreciates over time. Well, that's exactly the point. In other words, let's say that, um, you know, you, you know, we get back to, you know, three, 4% mortgage rates and the value of your house goes up by 50,000 a year. What he's proposing is the equivalent of saying, in addition to the W-2 you got from your employer, um, you need to include the increase in the value of your house as, quote, taxable income. 
That's what he's literally proposing. That's the analogy to what he's proposing. You haven't sold your house, but yeah. it, it increased in value. By the way, there's no accounting or IRS definition that includes the increase in the value of an asset you own, be it a painting, be it stock, be it a bar of gold, classic car. There is no, that says, hey, the increase in the value of something you own but haven't sold yet, that is not income. You won't find that in any accounting textbook. Mm -hmm. That is not the debt, but that's what he's proposing. And he knows he won't get it. He also wants to quadruple the tax on corporate buybacks uh, from 1%. Right now, if there's a stock buyback by, you know, if a corporation, if Exxon goes out or General Motors, you know, buys back some of their stock, mm -hmm. there's a 1% surcharge. He wants to make it a 4%. He wants to uh, quadruple the tax on, on uh, I'm sorry, he wants to also increase the corporate tax rate. Now, under Trump's tax plan, it was lowered from 35% to 21%. He wants to bump it up to 28%. Um, now, by the way, corporate tax revenues are at a, despite the reduction from 35% to 21%, corporate tax revenues are still at all time record highs because when you lower the tax rate, you give them more money available to invest in new plants, new products, new research and development. But he wants to take some of that free cash flow away and bump their tax rate up by 33% because. An increase from 21% to 28% is seven percentage points. Seven percentage points over 21%. He wants to increase the corporate tax rate by 33% from 21% to 28%. Um, for Americans with unearned income tax above 400,000, he wants to bump the, uh, their, right now you and I pay 3.8% of our, I'm sorry, um, between you and your employer, you currently pay 3.8%. Um, into Medicare because the, the, the seven and a half percent comes out of your paycheck. Your employer pays seven and a half percent, but of that seven and a half percent, six point two goes to Social Security. The balance goes to Medicare for a total of three point eight. Well, he wants to bump that to five five point excuse me five percent paid by billionaires on any income they have about above four hundred thousand, um, and he wants to push the top the top tax rate. That was lowered from 39.6% down to 37% under the Trump tax plan. He wants to push it back up to 39.6%. And by the way, for the last two years in a row, um, under that, under those reduced tax rates, the U.S. Treasury has been continues to report new all-time record high tax revenues. And as I've said before, and I've given examples, frequently tax rates and tax revenues move in opposite directions. It's not uncommon for when tax rates go up, tax revenues go down and vice versa. And the and the Ronald Reagan proved that uh, when he dramatically lowered tax rates and tax revenues skyrocketed. And the same thing came true with Trump. He reduced tax rates and tax revenues have skyrocketed to all-time new, all, new all-time highs. Anyway, so what's likely, again, his budget based upon all those wished for new taxes that he's not going to get. Uh, he was projecting a 1.8 trillion budget deficit. Since it's doubtful he'll get uh, most or any of those new uh, wished-for taxes, um, that one his 1.8 trillion budget deficit is likely to come in a lot higher than what he's projecting. But that's where we are. Any any thoughts or questions on the how the budget game is played? Yeah, it's it's a hot mess that every president seems to inherit from the one before, but it's. <laughs> whether the president makes it better or worse during their term. Right. 
Well, who was president last year? Who's who's whose budget is is Biden inheriting? Who's the guy last year that was president? Biden's. Oh, so he's inheriting his his own budget. His own, yeah. All right, all right. Um, I want to. Somebody sent me this great thing. It's by an economics professor um, from Georgia, and he uses the um, uh, ten guys going out for a beer on every week uh, to explain our tax system. And I found this so spot on. So here here's the scenario paints. He says, suppose that every day after work, 10 guys go out for beer and the beer for and the bill for all 10 of them comes to 100 bucks, 10 bucks a man. Now, if they pay their bill, that bar bill, the way we pay our taxes, it would go something like this. The first four men who are the poorest, they would pay nothing. The fifth guy would pay a dollar towards the hundred dollars. The sixth guy would pay three dollars. The seventh guy would pay seven dollars. The eighth guy would pay twelve dollars. The ninth guy would pay $18, and the 10th guy, who's the richest of them, would pay $59 out of the $100 bar bill. He would pay 59% of the bar bill. And that's what we've decided to do with our tax system. You can look at the IRS statistics, and that's exactly how the breakdown of our tax system goes. Um, anyway, so the 10 men drank beer in the bar every day, and they seemed quite happy with the arrangement until one day the bar owner through them a curve. He said, you know, since you've all been such good customers, you come in every day, I'm going to give you guys a discount. I'm going to reduce the cost of your daily bar bill by 20 bucks. So the drinks for the 10 of you, instead of being a hundred bucks, will now just cost 80. Well, the group still wanted to pay their bill the way we pay our taxes. So the first four guys were unaffected. They would still drink for free. But what about the other six guys, so the guys that were paying some of the bill? How would they divide that $20 windfall up so that everyone would get, quote, their fair share of that $20 windfall. Well, they realized that $20 divided by six would be $3.33, but if they subtracted that from everybody's share, then the fifth man, fifth guy and the sixth man would each wind up paying not being paid to drink their beer. They would literally get paid to drink beer. So that wouldn't work. So the bar owner suggested they'd be fair to reduce everybody, to reduce each man's bill by roughly the same percentage of the amount previously paid uh, in other words, split it on a percentage basis. So here's he, how he's proceeded to work out the $20 benefit. The fifth man, like the first four, now paid nothing. He had 100% savings. The sixth guy now paid $2 instead of three. He got a 33% reduction. The seventh guy now, now paid $5 instead of seven. He got a 28% savings. The eighth guy now paid $9 instead of 12. So he got a 25% savings. Uh, the ninth guy now paid $14 instead of $18. So he got a 22% reduction. And the 10th guy now paid $50 instead of 59, a 15% savings. So each of the six guys who was paying something was better off before. And the first four continued to drink for free. But once outside the bar, the man, the men began to compare their savings. And the sixth man said, Hey, I only got a dollar of that 20. And, and and he pointed to the 10th guy and said, but he got $9. Yeah, that's right, said the fifth man. I only got, I only saved a dollar too. It's unfair that he got nine times more savings than I did. And that's true, sh shouted the seventh man. Why should he get back $9 when I only, I only got $2? The wealthy get all the breaks. Wait a minute, yelled the first four men. We didn't get anything at all. The system exploits the poor. The nine men surrounded the 10th man and beat the crap out of him. The next night, the 10th man didn't show up for drinks, so the nine sat down and had beers without him. But when it came time to pay the bill, they discovered something important. 
they didn't have enough money among them to pay for even half the bar bill. And that, boys and girls uh, and college professors, is how our tax system works. The people who pay the highest taxes get the most benefit from any tax reduction. Tax them too much, or tax them for being wealthy, and they may just not show up anymore. In fact, they might start drinking overseas where the atmosphere is somewhat friendlier. For those who understand, no explanation is needed. For those who do not understand, no explanation is going to help. So, uh, Producer Susan, are you the ones among those who understand or don't understand? Oh, yeah. No, I get it. And it, it's exactly like our tax system is. Right. And I think I've mentioned in previous broadcasts, in 20, 2021, more than 6,000 millionaires and billionaires renounced their U.S. citizenship um, and left the United States taking their, their money and their tax dollars with them. Um, sometimes people want to keep raising taxes on the rich should read that there's an old fable called the goose who laid the golden egg. Um, they should read it sometime. Anyway, I'm going to have to drop a few of these things off, but let's talk about invasive. So invasive species, we've all heard about invasive species. We have Mediterranean fruit flies. We have African killer bees. We have murder hornets. We have pythons in the Florida Everglades. We have Asian carp flies, in, uh, fruit flies. We've got Asian carp in, infesting our rivers. Uh, zebra mussels. I don't know if you've heard about zebra mussels yeah. that are in reservoirs and they're they're plugging up the water intakes at nuclear power plants. Well, guess what? One of the most dangerous uh, and deadliest animals, mammals, in the world is. Mm. Uh, I don't know a bear. Hippopotamus. They kill more than oh, yeah. five. They five hundred people every year. Yeah, far more deadlier than sharks, which which kill only about 10 to 12 people a year. Anyway, hippopotamus has, have always been native to uh, to Africa and only Africa. Well, a couple of years ago, the uh, drug kingpin Pablo Escobar illegally purchased and imported four hippos, a male and three females, to his compound in Colombia. Well, with his arrest, nobody down there wanted to feed him. They turned him loose in the, in the Mata, Mata, Magdalena River. Well, they've been multiplying like crazy they have no natural enemies. There's no no animal down there that can kill a hippo. Um, they're already up to 150. They're 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 going to double every every two to three years, um, and they're they're projecting that there's going to be 1,600 of them um, by the end of the decade. So what what do you do about um, <laughs> what do you do about hippos in Colombia? <laughs> Anyway, and, and, the, and what is the plural of hippopotamus? Is it hippopotami? It is. The the rule, by the way, that's why uh, the, the plural of any any word that ends in an I is uh ends in an S is is I. So fungi, uh, instead of Elvis, it's not Elvis's, it's Elvi. So there's fungi, there's alumni, and it's hippopotami, it's octopi. So there's a little little uh so the plural of any word that ends in an S, you convert it to an I. All right. So uh, in Louisiana, so there was a guy in Georgia, moving on to our next story. Uh, so a guy from Georgia drove over to Baton Rouge to attend a, a college basketball game. His alumni, I guess he was an alumnus of school. Anyway, uh, following the game, he had a hotel room. He wasn't going to come home that night. He didn't come home the next day. And for five days, he was missing. Um, five days later, somebody going down the road noticed the smell. And they found his body wrapped in plastic, rolled up in inside of a carpet on the side in a ditch on the side of the road do you know how the police uh what the police how they ruled his death 
I did hear about this and it, it, they said no foul play, which I don't know how he put himself inside that carpet. <laughs> yes, the police ruled that the, this is a quote, no reason to suspect foul play. You can read about that. Just Google yeah. dead man in Louisiana, dead man, no foul play. By the way, anything I talk about, I speed through these things. Uh, I assume you have Google. Everybody listening has Google uh, and you can just Google some of these stories for details. Um, moving on real quick. Um, we have 3,033 counties in the United States. Some counties are city counties, like um, the city and county of Denver, as an example, the city and county of Los Angeles. Um, do you know what percentage of those 3,000 counties accounts for more than 50% of the annual homicides in this country? 10%, Probably 1%? 2%, which is 60 counties. 60 counties out of 3,033 account for 51% of the annual homicides in this country. Mm -hmm. So if you take out those 60 counties, as a rule, most places in the U.S. are safer than Europe. So just keep that in mind when somebody tells you how dangerous it is, the United States, how dangerous the United States is. No, out, out of the, we subtract 60 from 3,033, that leaves you with 2,970 or 67 counties are safer than Europe. So anyway, and by the way, I, I don't have time. I've got this long list of counties. Um, just to give you some perspective on that, the, uh, the total homicide rate in the United States, and this is from all causes, strangulation, stabbing, um, is 7.6 per 100,000. Places like St. Louis, you know what the homicide rate in St. Louis is? Oh, I'm going to guess uh, up in the 20s, 20%, 25%. Try 66.8 per 100,000. Cleveland, 45%. Memphis, 47%. Uh, Baltimore, 50, uh, not 57. This is per 100,000. 57 per 100,000. Again, the national average 7.6. And you've got these places that are in excess of um, eight times that homicide rate. I don't have time to tell you why uh, the Los Angeles thinks that freeways and white drivers are racist. I don't have time to tell you about uh, what the Continental Divide means. We're going to move right to our taxpayer relief shot. How much time we have? Uh, you've got less than 60 seconds, Jersey Joe. First time ever, you didn't fit it all in. Well, let's see if we can get the taxpayer relief shot going here. Uh, I don't know. Can you do it in 60 seconds? Let's see if it doesn't cut me off. Run the clock. This is about a guy in Georgia's house being invaded by four armed teenagers. Here we go. A Hawkinsville teen is dead, and neighbors say it happened during a home invasion. Megan Western went to Pulaski County to tell us what she found out about that fatal shooting. It happened Tuesday evening at this home behind me on Jelk Street. That's right off of Golden Isles Parkway. Community members tell me that the violence is disheartening. Neighbors told us 14 boys tried to enter the home, two through the window and two through the front door. Neighbors say teens were armed, and as they were entering the home, one of the boys was shot. People in the community say youth violence is increasing, with more kids looking to join.